0: The conversations on this podcast are between the host and the guest and are not directed at any member of the general public. The information is for your listening pleasure, but is not offering you any personal advice. If you have heard something that you feel may be relevant to yourself, please visit your medical practitioner or mental health provider. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. My name's Daniel. Hope you've had a good week, a good month, a good year. Today I have a brilliant person who I've been following on Instagram and uh, I've been listening to quite a few of his podcasts and I find him really, really interesting. So I hope you will find him interesting too. He's studying psychology and offers one-to-one coaching and He's Jamie Usher and he is the Mind Trader and luckily for me again, he's in Australia and I can record at a reasonable hour of the day. So hello, Jamie. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, mate. Thanks so much for having me on. Pleasure. Look, it's my pleasure. I think I said to you, I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts and I really love the way you uh, have conversations with people, interview people and get all that information out in a way that's easily digestible to everybody. Thank you.
1: I guess, yeah, that's um, that's the way I like to do because I guess that's the way that I like to uh, consume things. It needs to be simple. It needs to be snappy. So, I try to do try to do it that way. That's good. So, tell me a little bit about yourself now. You're studying psychology? Yep. Yeah, studying psychology. Just finishing my fourth year or my honours in psychology now. Finished in about a month or so and then uh, applying to go into a master's for that because my My dream is to be an actual accredited psychologist in Australia. So I've got a a bit of time to go, but look, I've been studying eight years part-time while I've been working full-time. So look, to be honest, I just, I love the idea. And like, I'm not just love the idea. Like I really want to be a psychologist that bad. Even though they said it was going to be another five or 10 years, like I'd grip my teeth and still have to do it. But, you know, I I would just, I just really badly want to be a psychologist. So um, that's why the journey has been so long and,
0: yeah, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And what made you come up with the idea of the Mind Trady podcast? Well, so the Mind Trady, that Mind
1: Trady, well, how can I explain it? Well, I used to be a tradie myself prior to me losing my vision in 2010, or most of my vision, like 90% of my vision. Um, yeah, like I used to run my own business as a tradie on on the morning to peninsula in um, in Victoria in, in, in Australia. And then um I I kind of went on my own journey of um, developing myself and I guess improving mental health to, I guess, ultimately deal with a really tough situation that was happening. And I realized, well, if if I'm doing this and I've had this kind of tough thing happen and I've had other tough things happen, I think maybe um, I've got a, got a bit of a story to tell with people, but also I've got a bit of a knack for motivating people and wanting to motivate people. And people seem to generally get, Sometimes I get motivated by what I say and and I'm like, if I can build strategies of actually working effectively with people, um, I'm like, it's a good combination. So that's how it kind of happened. And then I'd, I'm like, well, I'll take the trading background into what I'm doing now. So instead of just building things with my hands, it's like um, hopefully building people's sense of self and building their mind and that, and that kind of stuff. So that's how the mind trading came about.
0: Well, wow, I love that. I love that uh, rebuilding people's minds or helping them build their minds better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, look, I like your updates on Instagram at the mind tradie where you're walking through a park and you're giving some sort of pep talk. <laughs> uh, and it's always so good. You know, I, I mean, I'm not one for running about or going on long walks or whatever, but when I see, I always think, oh, I should actually go and have a walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, I think there's something, something really valuable in, um,
1: getting the body movement, getting the the created juices flowing. And, and I could nearly say that I could, if I wanted to, even though I, I probably shouldn't because otherwise I'd be, I'd be posting twice a day but um, and people get sick of it, but I, I could probably nearly think of something to record myself talking about every time I go for a walk because I walk probably 10 to 15 kilometres a day because I don't drive a car. And I just think there's something so valuable in getting that body, body movement and getting the mind moving get, like there'd, there'd be a connection between having your heart pumping and getting the cre- creative juices flowing sure I'm, I'm somehow there'd be a scientific reason for that but i'm uh yeah i, I just noticed that a lot so yeah i, I love whether it's early morning or at night time i just yeah love going to walks getting inspired to do something and say something i'm like oh yeah that could be something someone could get something from I'm like, if I get something from it, like I won't do it just because just I think somebody else will. I'm like, if I think this is a good thing to say, I, if I get something from saying it, I'll put it up and hopefully maybe
0: someone else might as well. And, look, I can tell that you're uh, studying psychology because you explain things the same way I do. I explain them so broken down because I think <laughs> people aren't going to understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. But that's exactly what, 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 what we mean is that, yeah, when you're out walking and uh, – I remember in my uh, early 20s, late 20s, going for a walk with someone who was um, not very happy with their life uh, and, you know, we're walking through... Oh, just along a creek, uh, I don't know, forest, where, wherever, outside. And they were saying to me, why do you go walking? And I said, because I like, and I didn't know about mindfulness back then, but I liked listening to the birds and the dogs barking and people talking in the cars in the distance and mm. hearing the trees rustle as the wind blows through. And they're like, my God, you know, you, you, you think of all this stuff. And I said, but that's what you want to be. You want to be Im- immersed in what you're doing. And yeah. when you're walking and you're hearing all those things, it's a sensory overload, which is great. Because you're not having a great time because you're worrying about all this stuff, but if you focused on what was around you, you'd find that those worries would actually dissipate. Well, exactly what you're talking about
1: um, was I think how I really positively immersed myself in what was happening to me back when I was losing my vision because I was able to have gratitude for those things that you just talked about, even though I couldn't see them, but I would go on long walks still on the path that I walk on today. Cause I still live in the same area and I'm like, okay, I might not be able to see what's happening, but I can still feel the sun. I can still hear the leaves on the trees and I can still hear the birds. And, and like that just, just immerse myself in this real gratitude for even though I was in a tough situation, but I was still yeah. able to uh, like experience that kind of stuff. So that that really helped me. And That's where I'm like, I feel so lucky that I was able to have that kind of mindset, like what we we're talking about before mindset, yeah. <laughs> like that, that was just a, a natural thing. I didn't have to force myself to, I didn't have to, I didn't have to, uh, I don't know, it was just there. It was just there. And I'm like, well, if I can experience things like this and these things kind of come natural to me, well, I think other people might need to be able to, Learn from these things I've able to go through, you know, and I can teach them if they if if they're wanting to hear them, you know, and because it really helped me in that time, which is obviously a pretty pretty tough time to to be able to walk walk home or go on a walk and, and go, oh, you know what, I'm really lucky, even though I had a pretty massive thing happening.
0: I'm like, yeah, there's something something happening there. I feel pretty lucky. So, do you want to say what actually happened when you found out that you were losing your sight? What? What, was the, what happened beforehand that made you think there's something wrong with my eyes, I need to get this checked?
1: Uh, yeah, that's actually a really good question. So uh, what, what would happen is when I was doing my tra- uh, business as a tradesman, so I used to do frameless glass and splashbacks and, and this kind of stuff and mirrors, and I would say, like I would do the measurements during the day and then at night time I would come home and draw them all up on the computer and then I would do my banking and all that kind of stuff on the computer every night. I was having to zoom in my laptop. Twelve yep. years ago, I was zooming in to the maximum, and then I realised I was having to buy. Um, they they weren't prescription glasses, but at, at the chemist, you can buy these glasses that are just basically magnifying glasses. Yeah, I was having to buy the strongest ones possible, and I'm like, ah, oh, something's happening here. And then I, I went to um, I went to a, a an op, um, optometrist, and then did like an eye test, and then they like, oh, your eyes are actually okay but the, the like something's obviously going on behind the eyes so i went to an, another eye specialist and they checked out my eyes again and they found out my once again my eyes are fine something else is going on and then i went to my local doctor and they said look you need to uh, go to the iron hospital here's a referral you need to go tonight so I, I had a i had a friend um drive me down to the iron hospital in in victoria um victoria parade in in fitzroy i think it is and uh, yeah i um yeah they kind of pumped me with a steroid for 3 days to see if that improved anything because yeah. it could be could be so many things when things are happening to your um to your eyes as they they said suggested it could be syphilis or something like that I'm like yeah, Well, I actually, you know what? This might sound funny. I actually hoped it was something like that because that could be cured. Yeah. It could be fixed. Yeah. <laughs> There's not many times in my life I'm going to be thinking, for, hoping for something, something like that. But uh, yeah, that's how I found out anyway. So I found out by doing my banking and that on my computer and my tape, tape measure was getting harder to read. The car was getting harder to drive. And uh, yeah, it was getting like, harder to drive at nighttime and that kind of stuff. And then I about a two-month period. Um, I'd lost about yeah, 90%, 90% of my vision in about eight to 10 weeks.
0: So how did that feel going through that from the time when you go to the INE hospital to when eight weeks later where your vision is deteriorated a lot more? Yeah. I mean, it must be so scary to think, and especially, I guess, if the doctors haven't actually given you a diagnosis of what it is yet. Yeah,
1: it was it was scary, but I think maybe because maybe I was, Stubborn and young, and I've like because I'm a kick, but I was kickboxing at the time as well. Like, I'm a I guess I had a fighter's mindset where I'm just like, no, I'll handle this, I'll handle this, I'll be all right. And plus, like, I grew up, which we might be able to get to later. I grew up in an environment where I, where I was 100% reliant on myself emotionally, and I'm like, I'll, I'll be all right, I'll be all right, I'm just gonna make sure I'm all right. So, yeah, it was scary, yeah, it was tough, but maybe there was a bit of a a blank thing that came over me, where I was just like, "No, I'm handling this, and then I'll, I'll so I'll, I'll handle how scary it is later, or when I'm on my own." But like, maybe I'll put on a bit of a facade for people, maybe that I was how positive or how you know how well I was handling. I, I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's a bit of a tough one to explain because real, realistically, like, um, I was speaking to someone about this the other day. Like, I've had tougher things I've had to handle. Like, you know, things that I've had, I've actually. Uh, I found tougher to handle where like I had, I broke up with a girlfriend like 10 or 12 and a half. What was it? No, about 14 years ago. And <laughs> this is prior to me losing my vision. And that six months relationship or five months relationship was harder for me to handle than me losing my vision. Wow. And so that tells me that something wasn't right as in like that me realizing that my vision issue where I'm like, no, nah, I'm okay. I'll, I'll be all right. And, you know, if you're losing my job, losing my, not losing my job, but giving up my business, giving up the ability to fight, giving up the ability to drive and all that kind of stuff. And and I didn't have to see a psychologist or anything, but realizing that I had to see a psychologist after having a relationship breakdown, something wasn't right. But it kind of gave a bit of context that, well, ha- like how did I handle that situation with my vision? And I'm like, I don't exactly know how I handled it, but I know that being grateful for what I had still really helped me get through it. And that's probably what put me on the right track for me able to go, no, you know what? I'm grounded. I'm going to be grateful for the certain things that I still have. And then, yeah, that probably helped out a whole lot. It was scary. It was tough. I had dark days, you know, there was days where I, Days where I like, or not just days, it was like months where I like, I have uh, like six to nearly 12 months where I, uh, or it was at least 18 months where I wasn't working. Uh, And like what I was trying to do was focus on like trying to get work, trying to get money. Like I I was literally like spending a lot of my time writing letters to newspapers and that kind of stuff to try and find myself work. It was like, you know, the the hardest thing about losing my vision wasn't the physical loss of vision because there was no pain attached to it. It was the fact that I couldn't drive my car anymore. It was the fact that I couldn't read my tape measure anymore. It was like the fact that I thought I wouldn't be able to pick up girls to go on a date and all that kind of stuff. That's the hardest part. Uh, and and the, the things I was saying to myself wasn't like, I never said why me in any way. And, and I, I will literally never say why me about any situation ever that it happens to me in my life. Cause my brain isn't wired that way, but I would, I was saying things like, Oh, who's going to want me now? And that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it kind of is looking back on it now there's a bit of context where I'm like I could handle certain things happening to me but when i attached it to uh as as a, as i just said like oh who's going to want me now and i oh you know like i i probably look worse in people's eyes and you know it just added to like feelings of lower self esteem that's that's probably what made it hard but other than that like i think where i think the human body is so beautiful is like you know I can lose my vision, but my body goes, No, we've got this. We're 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 all right. Like well, you know, we'll be able to handle this. Like I, I just love that the human body is like that. And I, I still think if I didn't lose my vision, say I lost a limb or something like that, I, I think I would have the same kind of attitude. Because I would find a way to be grateful, no <laughs> matter what. I just I I feel so fortunate that like I have um. The ability to do that, and I, I guess that's probably why I, I love working with people. I love talking with people, like even on podcasts, like you, uh, with, with people like yourself, or even just generally in messages who's, who've got a, a similar a similar mindset and love for working and helping people, that kind of stuff. It's like I, I've got this this ability, and not just me. Like it, the, the human body has the ability to deal with situations, um, and I think when we can take that emotion away from how hard it might be. Like I said, oh, who's going to want me now? The human body can really just handle things really, really well. And a lot of people don't know that because they probably haven't been through certain things. They've never actually been in a position to handle, have to handle something. But, yeah, yeah the h- human body is beautiful.
0: I mean, look, mate, that's amazing insight to have because, um, I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, I don't know how I'd feel if I thought I was going to lose my vision. Um But you're right, we are adaptable and we do adapt to what we have. When I first was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and I spent months on the couch not being able to do anything, I thought to myself, this is it, you know, but then a doctor said to me, you're going to end up either in a wheelchair or in bed for the rest of your life. And that was the turning point where I started doing small things and really tiny things like Vacuuming part of the lounge room it took me a whole day because I had to sleep after I'd done 15, 20 minutes of it. Oh, wow. But I, I knew I had to start doing these things because no one was coming to help me. No one was going to say, It's all right, Dan, we'll do this for you. Mm. It was, I had to get myself back to work. And fibromyalgia was the thing that gave me the opportunity, the break from work to mm. be able to actually go and study. Because before that, all I did was work, 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 work. And I always wanted to be a counselor, but I never had time to do it. Mm. When you've got, I guess, six or eight months where you can only work part-time. I had extra time and I started using that time to study uh, counselling and better myself. And so to me, even though fibromyalgia is an absolute bitch, Mm -hmm. it's still something that gave me a break in my life to be able to do something I wanted to do. And also I've got used to it now that, yeah, I can have a day where I'm in constant pain, but it's better than being stuck in bed. Yeah, yeah. So I weigh up the things. That
1: that is actually that gives great context to I guess how my situation evolved for me to have a better way of seeing certain things that had happened to me and future uh, the past the present and even future so I say this to I say this to people a lot and uh, just because it came naturally for me to say that is the more vision that I lost the better I started seeing things and the reason why reason why that is is because in that time where there was like a twelve to eighteen month period particularly where I like. I couldn't get hired for jobs because all my background was in construction. And so I was trying to find work and then to keep myself busy, I would say walking once or twice a day. Sometimes even back then, you know, 10 to 15 kilometers a day sometimes and going to the gym in the middle of the night, get up at 4 a.m. because I'm not sleeping, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff to keep myself busy. But it gave me time to think through things. It gave me time to think through Things that had happened to me when I, in my childhood, and and things that had happened to me as a teenager, and all this kind of stuff, and and particularly, why did I not think very much of myself? Because I, I, even though, say, my self esteem was low at the time, or even just sense of self, so maybe not just self esteem, but just my self identity, who I was, and and I actually I thought for a lot of the time, you know, um, that I was defective. Going back to um, what we've spoken about previously is um, schema therapy. So schema therapy talks about Uh, certain life traps you can get yourself in and one of my life traps was I thought I was defective So my way of uh, making sense of my childhood through a child brain when you know what was happening was that oh you know why am I not getting this attention or why am I getting this negative attention from certain people I must be defective I must be broken so having this time as an adult to think about this back things that happened back then was I was able to have some great reflection time so in, in in a lot of ways, I'm actually really lucky to have had that 18 months time, even though it was shit and wasn't making money and I was down and I was depressed a lot of time and all that's anxious and all this big whirlwind of a tough time. But it also gave me a lot of time to reflect. So I'm really fortunate to feel to have that. Cause you know, maybe maybe I wouldn't be anywhere near as advanced in my thinking for you know, for handling situations as what I am now if that this vision impairment didn't happen.
0: Yeah, what you're saying there is so true because you go through these experiences and at the time they can feel like the worst thing ever. And I find when I'm talking to younger people, say, I don't know, 15 to 20 and something goes wrong for them and it's the end of the world and, Mm. you know, I've got... Not a similar story, but uh, I I had nearly two years where fibromyalgia was really bad and I couldn't get a job because people said, oh, you're overqualified, you'll leave us, so we won't give you a job. (laughs) Um, You know, and those two years felt like the worst years and they probably were the worst years of my life. But then you start thinking outside of the box and creating new opportunities for yourself and it was starting this business, starting the podcast. Loads of things came out of that really sad time where your self-esteem really takes uh, a knocking because it's like, well, why aren't I, why won't they give me a job? I'm overqualified. Surely I should be someone they want. And I'd say to them, but that's your benefit. And they go, no, you'll just leave. And, you know, I've told people this conversation I had with someone because it was working for an agency that works for people with disability. And now I run a business with my business partner Uh, teaching communication to people with disability. And they rang me up and asked me uh, if I could take one of their clients participants and I said yeah I can I said actually do you remember I, and I was being a bit smart I go do you remember I came for a job with you and you told me that um you know I, I was over and I wouldn't stay so you didn't give me a job and she goes well you've proven me right haven't you and I went oh okay yeah actually I have <laughs> <laughs> but I was yeah. trying to be smart going uh-huh, look at what you missed out on and yeah. she was right <laughs> that as that, just
1: there's something in, in that time, isn't there? It probably you felt it as well. So it wasn't necessarily, or maybe it's a different view because Barbara Myers maybe does cause pain, but it's not so much, um, say, with, with me and maybe yourself. But say the, As I said, the vision impairment wasn't painful, but it was the knock-on effect of not being out of work, as I said, not being able to drive, not being able to read my tape measure, not being able to make money, and then also having that as a another reason to feel like I wasn't worthy of other people's attention. That's yeah. what was tough. That was, was tough. To, actual physical loss of vision wasn't necessarily tough, but it was all the other things that happened around it. And it was just another reason to feel
0: um, defective.
1: That's what I guess initially was tough.
0: And it's a real knock on your self-esteem, how you feel about yourself, because when you're not working, you're not earning. You feel like you're not contributing to society, to your family, to yourself. Mm. You can't look after yourself as well because you can't afford things. And like I like to think of, um, I used this terminology a little while ago, social esteem. So your self-esteem gets a knocking, but then it's also like you don't really want to associate with your friends because... Yeah. In social situations, they're doing all the things they normally do, and mm. if you turn up, you might be the person who hasn't doesn't have much cash, and they're like, "No, come, it doesn't matter." But you yeah. know to yourself, it matters, and you feel a bit socially isolated. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. And that's actually
1: one of the really cool things about self esteem, particularly that I've learned is like the self esteem in different areas, like there's, you know, the what might be self esteem in the home, and what be self esteem in your in your job, and you know, self esteem in the gym or whatever it is. Like, there's so many different areas because. You know, and you can, you can, some people have been stronger in different areas, and you know, and that kind of stuff. So, it's like, that's one of the really cool things I've been able to learn is because I've, I, I realized my self esteem wasn't great or my self identity wasn't great. So, I kind of went on a, that was one of the first things I was, I started working on prior to me learning any study, having any study or anything like that. I'm like, how can I build my self esteem, and why do I feel like this? Like, how fortunate also am I that I realized that it's like, it's like I knew. There was a version of me, but I was like presenting myself with this, as this other version where, you know, maybe most of the people on this planet just have low self esteem, but they don't realize they have low self esteem. Like I was, I was like, I was lucky that I realized realized that, and I knew that it, uh, it should be higher. And it's actually funny that uh, when I did start seeing someone, uh, like a, a one of the first psychologists I, I started seeing back in the day, she actually said to me. Um, well, you know, uh, maybe after six or 10 sessions or whatever it was, uh, well, you know, you know, you've obviously you've got self-esteem because of the things that have happened to you and blah, blah, blah. And, and like it was after maybe, yeah, maybe got to the still after the 10th session and she'd she said it to me again. And I'm like, I actually don't like how you say to me that I've got low self-esteem because the way that I think about it is, yes, I have low self-esteem, but only because I'm using a small amount of it. I have self-esteem, but I'm actually using a low amount, but I can have high self-esteem. But if you tell me I've got low self-esteem, you're almost telling me I have low self-esteem, but looking at it different ways. I guess that's probably one of the reasons that I started wanting to work with people because I think that's that's almost what like what we were talking about before. That's mindset. That's like a mindset trick kind of like the way that you talk to yourself. Is, um, is, is very important for that kind of stuff. I'm like okay there's something there's something in that because it's like if even if a psychologist is like speaking to speak into me in a way that um, I don't know that maybe I could feel that I could talk to myself better and imagine if imagine that all the other ways I've been speaking to myself and other you know the way the parents spoke to me and treated me and all that kind of stuff it's like I really need to refine this down and figure out how do I want to think about myself? And how do I, what kind of mindset do I want to have? What kind of belief system do I want to have? And that, I guess that kind of set me on a journey for like, all right, let's let's start
0: at baseline, let's start at the very bottom. Then how can we build build up? And look, I mean, talking about belief system, I mean, that's uh, an issue for a lot of people because the belief in themselves and the belief in what they're capable of, mm-hmm. um it it does come through from I guess your socioeconomic. Uh, setting from um, your physical setting, uh, family setting, and all those things, I guess up until you're about 12, 13, where you start to understand your sense of self, Mm. all those things are are hitting you all the time. And by the time you get to 12 or 13, that's when you start to create who you are. And if your belief system is very low, then you're going to find it hard to be able to adapt and move into the things that you probably want to do, but you feel like, well, actually, I'm not good enough for that, or I can't achieve that, or these people won't like me because of how I am. And they're all things that we construct in our own head, because we overthink so many different situations that there's no relevance and there's also no there's nothing that's happened to prove that what you're thinking is right yeah yeah okay yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's, the, that's one of the greatest things along the lines of that. That's one of the greatest things I've been able to learn, not just through one person telling me through study, but just through a whole range of people, even uh, through, through my own studies, but also through talking on podcasts, listening to podcasts and that kind of stuff, and interviewing people on podcasts. Is one of the, one of the greatest facts I've, I've heard is particularly around belief systems. So, on average, our belief systems about ourself are generally formulated between the ages of like a birth and, and seven or on average. So it could be a bit earlier, a bit later for others. So I'm like for myself, that was in an environment that wasn't necessarily nurturing to a belief system and not nurturing in a lot of other ways as well, but not nurturing towards someone's belief system. Um, like imagine how many other people there are out there that they may not have necessarily have had to go through like a, a like negative childhood experiences because you don't necessarily have to have negative things happen to you to have a not so good childhood. You just may not have received positive attention. You may just not have really received any attention and that may be not so good as well. So where, where, I guess, distress for people can come in due to their belief systems, there might be things that they want in life but their belief system about who they are and what they can achieve doesn't match that. And if your belief system doesn't match what you want, you're not going to achieve it and therefore you'll have distress in your life. So that's why um, I try to, I guess, when I'm working with people, whether it's younger people or people of any age, uh, I say to them, question everything, question, question your belief system. So how do you feel about yourself? How do, how do you feel about the things that you're doing and you've done and what you want to achieve and do they match who you are and what you want and what you want to do and all that kind of stuff? And if for some reason there's an imbalance there or there's a discrepancy there, and this, I think this is in humanistic theory where the, if there's a discrepancy between the ideal self and the actual self, that's going to cause distress for people, but how can that gap be closed? Yeah. And it's like it's sometimes the gap might be small for people, or somebody might, might be huge. And like for me, it used to be huge. <laughs> the ideal and the actual used to be very, very uh, a large, a large discrepancy. And it's like how can we, how can we change this? But it's people's belief systems about themselves, that can help change that. So like if if you grew up, or if you or I or anybody grew up in a world where uh, it wasn't necessarily a nurturing environment to somebody's belief system. That, that doesn't mean uh, it has to stay like that. But if our belief systems were formed between the age of, say, seven, think about for people, it'd be good for people to think about what what was happening in that time and was it necessarily nurturing for that kind of stuff or do we need to do some work on it? But most people probably never question that. Most people probably never go, oh, my belief system probably isn't that great, but what can I do about it? Or was what was happening in that time of childhood, you know, did, does it help me, did it help me have a good belief just now? Most people never think about that because they probably, they're unaware. But
0: exactly, what, what unaware.
1: Yeah. they What happened in that time ultimately is probably influencing what is happening to you now.
0: There are those out there that say, uh, you know, you shouldn't focus on the past, you need to focus on the future. As a psychologist uh, or almost a psychologist and as a counsellor, I mean, we work with both. We work with the past and we work with the present and we work with the future. Mm. So we can set goals and we can say, what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? This is this. And then we can go back into the past and go, okay, so this is something that happened to you. You're saying that, you know, you don't have great relationships in um, partnerships, male, female a romance, what's happened in your life. And you can generally look back and find the actual part where that was something that either triggered them in a negative way or they felt that they weren't capable of having that type of love or that relationship. Mm. So, you know, when you do look back at those things, it's, world changing for you because when you actually understand and it's not us saying hey this is what happened to you and that's why you're like this it's helping the person work back and then get the realization that wow actually I think it was this and you go yeah go on think a bit more and -hmm. then when they actually discover it for themselves because we don't like to and we don't. We don't push an idea on someone. We give them ideas and tools to help them mm. come up with these things. It, it, it's a whole new thing, and it's when they realise it themselves, that's when they get their greatest change. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. That's the thing, when you when you can kind of lead someone uh, by um, down to the path that they need to find themselves, by giving them strategies, not by taking them by the hand and, like, dragging them to, to that path. It's like when they can have those... Those realizations that actually that those realizations that I I've had in my own psychology sessions uh, was so motivating for me to want to I guess provide that kind of thing for some people like one day because like because I experienced it and it was like so good like it would be great to be able to give people that that um the opportunity to have those that's probably one of the main reasons I got into psychology for that reason those those aha moments where you're like yeah 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 and, and it's not just about like you going oh yeah, yeah your childhood wasn't that great and you know and, and this is probably what happened and why you think like that it's like yeah when they can we can talk to people like that but it's like when they can start putting things together whether it's in that session or when they walk away from that session and kind of yeah the narrative starts to change that's yeah it's like I, I just loved i love having that myself and also if i could provide that for someone that would be the best thing ever and i know i will i've probably hopefully even in some of the stuff i've done already I've hopefully been able to provide similar things like that but doing it in the sessions more professionally be really
0: uh i don't know i just what i'm really motivated to do look i studied gestalt therapy when i was studying and i understood it all did it all but it wasn't until um A mentor tutor Mm. said to me, come on, let's do a session in the empty chair. The empty chair is where you sit opposite an empty chair and you play both roles. So me and then someone else opposite you and you talk to them and then you swap seats and you talk back. And I said, oh, no, it's not going to work. It's going to be a load of shit. I know it's just an empty chair there. But when we got into it of the character I was talking to, I got emotional in both characters and I realised how powerful this tool was Mm. that I'd studied and I knew it inside out, but I just hadn't seen it in action. And Mm. when I actually did it and felt it and saw what it was like, I had a few realisations there and I was like, my God, how good is that? And she said, I told you, you need to do these things yourself to be able to see how powerful they are for someone else you work with. Mm -hmm. And I did do it with a friend of mine who had um, an issue with her mother back in the day. Her mother was not a great mother, quite abusive. Mm -hmm. And she burst into tears and we had all this uh, stuff we talked about and she went home and then she said, she rang me and she said, oh, I'm really upset and I feel really tired about what we did a couple of days later, rings me and goes, actually, that was really good. I don't feel as overwhelmed by what happened in my past. And I'm not thinking about what happened to me and what I could have done differently. I feel like a bit of it's been lifted. And I said, look, I can't actually tell you exactly what happened. But seeing you sit there and talk to your mother, and then your mother talking back to you, and listening to that conversation, I could see that things were changing. And sometimes it can be that you spend a few days a week afterwards, feeling really crap about it, because it's so intense. But as you work, through it, then you start to realise that that was a blockage that you needed to move. Mm, yeah, yeah, that, that those kind of things.
1: Ah, uh, like I think it, there's obviously a mixture of like what we can give, whether it's as counsellors, a psychologist, or whoever you are. As we spoke before, whether it's life coach, it doesn't really matter. Like if you've got a skill, like obviously that's that's good, but it's more about. I guess the amount of effort as well that people as the as the client is putting in. So, but a a good mixture of like a good good therapist in some way, whatever it is, is a coach, uh, counselor, whatever, psychologist, and then someone who comes in with an actual like bit of an urge to want to change, to talk through their story, and and you know at those blockages, whatever they may be, like that's a bloody great combination when you've got you know when you've got that happening you can make some pretty bloody good changes happening
0: uh, Uh, look I I had a conversation with someone on a podcast probably about a month ago and uh, we were talking about life coaches and you know life coaches are the new sort of buzz person to be around and And we sort of went, well, actually, if we think about it, it would have started as psychiatrists and psychologists and Mm counsellors and life Mm -hmm. coaches. There's going to be someone else that comes along soon that not replaces life coaches but is the new buzz thing because, you know, we're always dissecting all these different things we can do with behaviours and thinking and, and, and someone will come up with a new concept for someone who can work at it and teach. I mean, it's the same in psychology. There's Mm. psychology as the big umbrella, but then there's cognitive behavioral therapy. There's solution-focused therapy. You know, We've got, Mm. I don't know, maybe a hundred therapies underneath that. And there's probably about 10 or 15 that are the major ones we use when we're counseling. Mm. But there's always new concepts and new ideas, which is what's great because it's forever changing and always creating new pathways to train people in different ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very true. And I guess that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Maybe there is going to be something else out there. I guess, I guess what, as long as it helps people, as long as it's effective and long as it does it in a healthy way, I guess, yeah, like I'm, I'm fine for that. But um, I guess we, we, as we were discussing before, we are going to, I guess we try and come from an effective, um, background, like we want to, uh, I think, I, same as you with your counseling and me with going down that psychology path. I think we, we feel comfortable with that, maybe because we've experienced that ourselves, they're the ones we want to go. That's the avenue we want to, we want to go down. And maybe that's why I'm, I'm, I guess, so passionate about psychology. I just I find it's got such a strong background.
0: And that's why I want to stick to that kind of stuff. And look, I think uh, on a personal level, uh, studying these types of things, I mean, it changed my whole way of thinking about life and uh, about seeing how different behaviours affect different people. Mm. And I've had people over the years say to me, are you analysing this conversation? And uh, (laughs) when I first finished, yes, I was analysing every conversation, trying to work out what was going on. But I think as you get further into um, the psychology field, you're analysing people without even knowing you're analysing them. And you might be talking to someone and you go, actually, what you just said then, that's actually not working for you. And you're yeah. like, oh, why is that? And you go, I don't know. Look, you need to work it out, but I can just see that that's something you're repeating a lot and it's actually not doing much for you. Yeah, that's that's true.
1: Actually, just to just talking about analysing analysing situations and talking about uh, maybe, you know, what you would do as a, a psych or a counsellor, like how I was able to do that to my own kind of journey, even before I started studying psychology, uh, maybe if I give a bit of context to my childhood and my like how I was able to kind of, as an adult, go back and break down, as you say, that um, we 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 kind of do well, and maybe that might give some context to your listeners as to why. Yeah. I, yeah. I, okay. So. So my my vision impairment wasn't the biggest thing. I, I guess I've had to deal with uh, in regards to say blocks in my life. So that was, if anything, as I said before, my vision impairment was a thing to help me see better in, in who I was and how I was and what I was doing, but the real blocker to who I, who I was and what was stopping me from, I guess, ultimately being happy was how angry I used to be. I used to be incredibly angry, but I'm not angry as in like tantrums and smashing things, but I would just be like, I'm angry when something would happen. And like, it wasn't necessarily completely negative, but I would just be like, it was the same kind of thing. I'd be getting angry, nothing was changing, angry, nothing was changing. Something happened, I would get angry or I'd get angry and I'm going to get that person for doing me wrong and I'm going to, you know, because when I was younger, I would get violent with people prior to being a kickboxer. People that did me wrong, the other males, I'd be, that's how I used to handle it. But yeah. that's that wasn't going to get me where I wanted to get to. Like it helped me fuller out time, but it served. it served a purpose, but, you know, for, for what I you know, being as someone who wants to be a counsellor or a psychologist, like I obviously can't be being like that anymore. Like I've got to advance from that. But what I realised was why I was so angry was because like it, it was just a release. So anger is it for men? Anger is a great release for um, whether feelings of depression and feelings of anxiety or feelings of anything, which it's, a, it's, a, it's like we, um I, my analogy for it is like, we've, we're, uh, we've got a bucket inside us where like everything that's happening to us like it, it drips into the bucket on, you know, whether it's a daily base or whatever it is. And the anger is us just em- emptying that bucket. But the, the, the anger doesn't actually fix the leaking tap. It just, it releases, releases what the bucket has caught. Yeah. So I'm like, what what can I, how can I fix the leak then? <laughs> you know, how can I really do, go back into like, what, why was I ultimately angry? So, this is what I've been able to kind of uh, fortunately find through my own studies and therap- my own therapy, that kind of stuff. So, particularly, we've spoken about before with schema therapy. So, schema therapy talks about. Um, there's certain things that are going to lead a child to be angry and I guess ultimately why an, why an adult might be angry so their um, unmet needs as a child so I had definitely unmet needs as a child which were you know uh, uh, safety I didn't really feel safe physically emotionally because of domestic violence that was happening and even um, I parents that I both parents uh, who were uh, um split at the time I was born, and they both had partners when I was born like uh, partners turned that turned into uh, new new um, husbands or wives and they didn't give me uh much love and attention either like it was like a everybody had like say feelings of say no self love or no real self esteem it was just just the way it was just my they had my family kind of the dynamics back then and yeah. uh, because they didn't think very much of themselves and they still don't to this day, my mum and dad. And, you know, they, they just don't, they, they don't have the capacity to have self-love really, yeah. or a, a very high amount. Well, they don't, that means they're not going to be able to show it. Now, yeah. I guess the amount that you can show is the, is also equal to the amount that you kind of give to yourself a lot of the time. Or if you, if you don't feel a whole lot about yourself for some reason, where you've got a lot of shame and all that kind of stuff, you might struggle to show it to other people. So anyway, one of the reasons I, I, I was so angry was because I, you know, I, I didn't think a whole lot about myself probably through not being shown love and attention properly back in the day, because maybe my own parents had things going on. Um, and to be honest, I, I actually suspect that they probably have their own kind of personality disorders going on as well. Um, that's probably a bit of a, a, too much of a diagnosis, but, but from what I know, about that kind of stuff, I wouldn't mind suspecting that my my parents have both have. And they're not going to listen to this, so I can I can freely freely say that. But it's just people with that kind of stuff they struggle to sometimes give love in that yeah. way. But also, both my parents have this ability to not take any responsibility for certain situations, um, and then I'm like, okay, that that makes a lot of sense too. And so you know, growing up in that kind of world with um, you know parents are like that. It's it's no wonder that I, I didn't know, think a whole lot about myself and kind of had kind of unmet needs emotionally and, and that kind of stuff. And ultimately, I guess probably what I was feeling and why I was so angry is because I had I had a belief of rejection that I, my my upbringing had taught me that I was going to be rejected because I was defective. I was broken in some way. That's why people weren't giving me attention and my parents weren't giving me attention. And then I just carried that from childhood into my teenage years. And then into adult years. And like, ultimately I was, I was getting angry at myself for that. Like, why are you defective? Why, why, you know, why, what, why can't you change it? Why, why, like, what is it about you that this kind of thing's happening? And so that's kind of my, my, one of the reasons for my anger. And
0: that's guess, pretty hard on you that yeah. you carry all that blame, even though it's not your fault. But you blame yourself for why people are the way they are, even though you probably don't have anything really to do with it. I, I didn't, and
1: now I probably because I don't carry anger anymore. Is because I like I have I had breakfast with my with my dad this morning with my with my daughter, and I think because I can now feel sympathy for them. Like if anything. Rather than being angry, like, I used to be so angry at my dad that I wanted to get physically violent with him. And there's been times where if he had said what he'd said to me over the phone, if he was saying to me in person, I would have got violent with him. Right. Um, like, and I was just, and that's one of the things, because I didn't feel protected as a child. I I was the one that had to get physically violent to protect myself. Yeah. And, you know, that's why it was so easy for me to become violent with people when I was younger and why I became a kickboxer and that kind of stuff and because it was so easy because I'm like, well, no one else is being protective. It, just, I didn't, it wasn't necessarily a conscious, uh, conscious thought I was having, but my brain, and you know, our brains are like um, formed for number one is safety, yeah. survival and safety. So, of course, I was going to be like that. But, yeah, so now rather than me being angry and having shame and all that kind of stuff, I can sit across from my dad and go, I know you're not going to listen to me if I say, if I said something to, me, it, to him about it, he wouldn't take it on. But as I, I can see because he, he thinks nothing of himself. He doesn't have the ability to think enough of me or enough of, say, other people around him. Like he thinks what he's, he's doing is normal. Yeah. Like even today, like I'm 38, he still doesn't ring me and go, Oh, how's your studies going? or anything like that. He's never asked any question like that. And I've been studying for nearly 10 years. Yeah. But fortunately enough, He's good enough with my daughter, yeah. And so that's where I have a relationship with him around that. So I don't have to bring up past stuff anymore. Like sometimes I feel like I need to, but now it's more my relationship that I have with my mum and the relationship I have with my dad is purely based around their relationship with my my daughter, my seven year old daughter, and that's good enough. So I don't have to. Yeah.
0: Do you think that you've got a greater understanding of what happened when they were younger and? Um, with you uh, not feeling so angry towards them was part of your learnings through learning your psychology. You understood more and you could empathise, not meaning that they're right, but empathise in a way that they didn't understand or what they were doing they didn't realise was detrimental to you? I think so, yeah. I think that's that's a really good point. I think that's probably played a huge
1: part in it, um, but also, on top of that, I just understanding that this is what I was saying before, that I, think, I think they probably both struggle with some kind of, uh, whether, it's, if a, if, whether a personality kind of disorder is a spectrum thing as well. I'm not 100% sure, but it probably is. But both of them have the inability to say like, yeah, we're sorry for putting you guys through that. We should never have done that, that kind of thing. It's all like, oh, you know, that's what was happening was fine. You know, like the, the domestic violence is fine. And it's like, do you think thinking they more actually about don't
0: understand what they were doing was bad, though? Do you think, like, in their brain, I, I mean, what, I guess we,
1: we I think it's a defense mechanism they have. I think they do know it wasn't great, but for some reason, and it was that it like really. a
0: family generational thing that happened to, to them when they were kids? Like, was it just sort of something that was brought forward through the generations? I
1: suspect, um, this is too much of a diagnosis thing. I suspect it might on my dad's side. I think my grandma has a, a, some kind of thing there, like yeah. a, an inability to properly show love, probably through some kind of thing. But with my mum, so her dad died when she was, say, eight years old in a car accident they had back in 19, I think early nineteen sixty. And that yeah, dad died, and she. I, I think the focus prob- probably went on to my grandma on the other side, so my mum's mum, and the family and the family outside people kind of concentrating on how hard it was on my my mum's mum rather than actually dealing with my mum.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: and and I think the trauma from that has really affected her. Yeah, um, and I think that's led her to have certain issues that she's probably. Had the inability to deal with, so yeah, I have sympathy for them there rather than being uh,
0: rather than being. Angry and I guess them. if you go back to the nineteen sixties when your mum was young, mm. I mean back then it was almost looked on as kids were resilient, and yeah. you had to look after the mother father because um, yeah. then they would look after the children. But yeah. you know, I mean times have changed now, and maybe. Uh, if it was in this time, uh, it would be a completely different outcome for your mum. But to go through a trauma like that, I know with my mum, she lost her dad at 21 Mm. and she had two sisters and a brother below her and her mum was then uh, the main breadwinner Mm. Um, and she said she found it really difficult because her dad had gone, uh, she'd lost at 21, her mum was at work all the time, she was looking after the kids or expected to look after the kids. And she was also trying to find her way in her own life. And that's why she feels that she's got anxiety now because back in her 20s, there was so much pressure. And also she felt like being the oldest child, she needed to step up into her dad's position and then was told, no, 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 that's not your position, you know.
1: I think, yeah, along those lines is probably how I felt with, with mum because I must have sensed, just unconsciously sensed that maybe I was the one that needed to help her, think more of herself somehow I don't know how I was going to do this or so I was the one who needed to protect her because um I don't know maybe she wasn't doing it herself because say when when I was four and she remarried this guy and he it turned violent I was the one that had to protect her I guess physically and emotionally like yeah. that was yeah there wasn't a conscious decision I made but obviously I picked up on something I picked up on something that said well for you to be safe for me to be Jamie safe as a four four-year-old or five-year-old well you're going to need to take this on. But uh, just going back to that I th- with, with mum and her dad, I think maybe she felt that she needed to just have any man in her life when, you know, uh, and that's why she, she um, had chose men that she did because even my real dad, you know, my real dad, even though he wasn't violent, my real dad left me when my mum was six months pregnant with me yeah. and on her birthday. So my mum's choice in men and there's another one later on, but wasn't as bad as both of them, but still not great. My mum's choice in men wasn't great, but that's not necessarily because she thinks, uh, that she, uh, Oh no, I think this has probably got to do with more than what she thinks she deserves. And I think that comes out of uh, things that weren't dealt with properly back when she was a child, but not because they weren't dealt with properly because they were dealt with uh, wrongly. But they because that's all that was there. There was the support wasn't there.
0: Yeah. And I guess so she lost her dad, who would be a role model in her seeing what a a guy is like, a father is like, a husband is like. And that wasn't there. No. And then also the damage to her self-esteem. Yep. And then yeah. And and losing your dad, then Uh, Look, I don't know. I haven't lost my mum. Well, I've lost my dad, but I haven't lost my mum yet. But the connection you have, she almost probably was just eager for any type of love and affection. Exactly. So she went, and we know with Cycle of Abuse, is that uh, the way the, you generally, nine, nine times out of ten, the male knows how to make the woman feel uh, loved and happy and desperate to keep them, and then mm. the next minute there there's domestic violence comes in and then they're making up again and, you know, yeah. and, and people sometimes say, oh, it's the woman's fault she stayed. It is such a cycle of abuse that yeah, exactly. Until you read it and start understanding why it happens, then you understand what happens to that lady, that woman, who Mm. is still there because there's also there's look there's so much we could analyze this for hours here but (laughs) let's go back to what you were talking about
1: (laughs) yeah i think exactly and probably for that reason this helps me understand that like how Mum got in that cycle but also how i got in that cycle as well as well and even the cycle where it began of where my anger resentment towards them for for a long time because say even through primary school like I, i couldn't um I've told the story. Not, I actually told it on my story as well on my podcast where it got to four or five um, grade four or five. And when I was about nine or 10 and i would have to be in the car park waving to Mum across the road to make sure she was all right. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. I think, uh, although at the time like I was doing it out of, I guess out of, I just wanted to feel safe just to make sure Mum was safe, but I probably felt resentment for that kind of stuff as well later on, because I was also wetting the bed through then I wet the bed up until I was 14, nearly 15. And like, I can laugh about it now because you know it's someone in high school is wedding to bed till fourteen or fifteen when I should be chasing girls. Someone who a boy who wets a bed does not correlate with a boy who's confident. Well, yeah. it negatively correlates, and I was probably resenting people for that kind of stuff, putting him in that position. You know, like no wonder I was angry. I was, I was angry. I was just angry. I don't know. Like at the at the situation, I was. Angry. Yeah, I think you were probably. angry
0: at the situation. You were angry probably at your mum that she picked such a dickhead of a man. Yeah, and you then were I probably had to angry that her. you didn't feel that. I guess the school was supporting you or you had to go to school when you wanted to be there and protect your mum. There are so many different variables that were going through your head at 13, 14, 15, which Mm. shouldn't have been going through your head at that stage because, yeah, you should have been out looking at girls, going out with your mates, (laughs) riding your bike, you know, but you had all these different situations going on that you had to deal with and probably also the loss of not losing your dad but your dad walking out when you were... Yeah, six months old. I mean, that must be a a, a real tearing thing on you as well, because you've been abandoned by your dad. You've only just been born. Why did he leave you for someone else? Yeah, exactly. So like all all that kind of adding up
1: is, uh, makes sense why I was angry, but also like every single moment that I've just described with Visionary parents' childhood stuff, I'm so fortunate that every single second of it happened because it formulated the person who I am now. And that I, look, I love who I am now and I, and I love, uh, and I'm building on that more and more. Not that I have, like, self-love in that traditional way people talk talking about, but I, I respect who I am. I respect yeah. the, that I, the way that I am and I've been able to kind of get my head around it. And I respect the way that I keep moving forward and advancing who I am. And, and I have a love for working with people in those situations. And I've got, I've got things I can provide for them and, you know, a story of my own. But I don't just want to provide a self-experience story. I want to be able to provide this, you know, um, an educational backup
0: of that as well. That's why I like to study. Exactly. And look, that's what I love about you, Jamie, is you're studying, you know, psychology. So you've got all that groundwork and education behind you. You've also got your lived experience. So what better way to help other people find a better life and to find their self-esteem than someone who's lived it and has learned how to deal with changing those uh, ideals in your head? and to be able to get you on a better path and set some goals work through your path all those things you're you're someone who and like i said to you listening to your podcast i i listen to a handful of podcasts nowadays usually cuz i don't have enough time and usually cuz i listen to them for a little while and then i go oh actually i don't i'm not into that one anymore i'll try this one but with your one i keep coming back to it because there's really good stories and i don't know if you know off the top of your head what episode number it is that is your story on the mind tradey. but if anyone wants to go back and listen to it it's bloody brilliant it's really good and it's not it's really good that oh it's happy and cheerful but listening to your life experience and what you've been through you know people have had a taste of who you are now they should go back and listen to that episode to really understand who you are and why you're passionate about what you're doing that's um uh, it's yeah it's it's
1: Episode 10, my story. Episode 10. <laughs> Season one. I, I think I loved I loved recording that so much because it actually it was helped me formulate like a, an understanding of like, oh yeah, I did have actually have a few things happen, didn't I? And that's actually that's episode It's the first one I've spoken about where I spoke about that um where I was in, in primary school and I was in the car park waving to
0: mom and I'm like fucking hell, that really did happen, didn't it? That made me tear up when I was hearing that because I could feel you as a child making sure your mum was all right and I could just feel the anguish that you were going through. And what I really loved about that episode is you take people on the journey from being small what you went through with the domestic violence happening around you, going to school, and then uh, finding out that you're losing your eyesight. It is just, it's like listening to your life story concise in an hour, but there are so many good points and it's so many points that make you really think about how lucky we would be to have the life we had when we hear about what you went through. It was just amazing. It's extraordinary. Actually, it was an extraordinary listen. Thank and you so much. That really cemented me listening to your podcast. I listened to other ones where you interviewed people, but that one really just made me go, wow, this guy, he's where he is now. And I mean, you, you've really pushed yourself, mate. And, 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 yeah, it was it was really extraordinary to listen to that story. I really do appreciate that, man. It's like for, for someone like yourself that has listened
1: to a lot of people's stories, For when you reached out to me and said, um, uh, like, you know, it would be good to connect in some way, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually really good. Like, Dan's actually listened to a lot of people's stories and he's finding mine interesting. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. So thank you.
0: No, look, I mean, it, it was. I, I love your podcast anyway, but listening to that about your life, anyone who wants to get get you in context of who you are and what you are if they want to come to see you as a psychologist in the future or one-to-one coaching you know to hear that story how brave you were and how I guess um brutally honest you were and open about what happened you know you couldn't get uh, a better understanding of your therapist before you went and saw them yeah thank
1: you actually that's yeah I, I do I guess I give a good a good idea of like how I would work with people, like the I would never, I would never like complain about anything that's ever happened to me. So I guess that's the kind of way I would work with someone. So it's like, okay, I'm going to hear your story, but I'm going to find something positive in it because every single person that has gone through anything, there's an there's a, like a special energy in that experience. And working with someone like me, I want to bring that energy out so you can better your life for your sake. And then maybe the sake of other people as well, because there's, there's definitely an energy in everything you've gone through, and that's why I like working with people bring that out in themselves, yeah, for their own sake and sake of for you know, sake of the world around them too.
0: All right, well, uh, Jamie, I think we have to wrap up here. But uh, you're the mind tradie. Are you on Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, um, that's. I think I, I prefer Instagram at the moment. Facebook's a bit dead, but yeah, I love Instagram. Do the videos or do put stuff up, up on there. So if people want to find me on there, contact me on there. I've got, I do have a website uh, coming out in the next month or so uh, where uh, they'll be really talking about doing, um, you know, how people can get in contact with me for coaching and that kind of stuff. And then hopefully in the new future, uh, psychology stuff as well. But uh, yeah, there's a few places to find me.
0: All right. Well, if you're on Instagram, you can find him at The Mind trady It's Jamie Usher. If you're not on Instagram and you want to get in contact with him, you can always contact me here at the podcast and i can pass on your details to him and then you can connect that way um but jamie it's been brilliant talking to you i'm so glad we connected on instagram and that i've listened to your podcast and you've come on and told people a little bit about yourself i hope they go and find you on instagram or facebook or connected with your new website because i think uh you've got a lot of information on your instagram and positive stuff stuff about your life it's worth people going and Going and uh, checking you out and following you, Dan. Thank you so much
1: for having me on. As I said, it's been an absolute honour. You've had a lot of, like you've had a lot of good guests on here. So to be amongst those people that you've had a chat with, I feel extremely honoured. So thank you so much for being able to, for me
0: to uh, share my story. So I really appreciate it. Ah, Look, it was brilliant, mate. I I was happy to have you on and, I, you know, I contacted you and asked you to come on because I just, after hearing that story, I just thought, God, this guy, you know, he's going to go places and I need to snap him up before all the big podcasts get him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, let's let's hope so.
0: (laughs) All right, Jamie, thank you. You have a great night. You too, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.